Now, on this Invest Talk podcast, Steve Peasley listens to your questions. Let's go to Gene in North Carolina. Health Savings Account, HSA, he wants to talk about. Hi, Gene. Hey, thanks for taking my call, Steve. So my question is, I'm wondering if you've been able to invest in HSA but any, any of your clients through a discount brokerage. And provides unbiased answers. I would think a large brokerage house, uh, you know, a discount brokerage house, TD Ameritrade, I, I would think they would allow that. I would allow it. Invest Talk. Over 30 million downloads and counting. I was just wondering if you guys could go over a basic or fundamental analysis for stocks, just for a beginning investor like myself. Your participation makes it unique. 888-99-CHART. This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking shared success and now today's podcast good afternoon everybody and welcome to invest talk it is tuesday april 6 2021 and on today's program and podcast we will operate with the same mission statement we do every day and you're probably bored hearing it but we're still going to repeat it and as independent thinking and shared success this means we will give you the facts We want to share the facts. We would love for you to share your facts with us as well. It's not done have to be just one way. It could be both ways. But anyways, like for instance, uh, the other day I was talking about 529 plans, which is a retirement, which is the education plans for kids going away to college. And my information was old. And because I said you only could use it for accredited colleges only. Well, they changed that law. Uh, a little while back, and I just didn't keep up with it. So it's not just for accredited colleges only. You can do other things with it. You can even pay off with student loans, partially. Anyway. So, you know, I, that helps me when if I make a mistake and you clarify it for me, because I got a couple of emails and I looked it up and I did some research and they were correct. So I I do like that. I want to I want you to keep me in the. Keep me in the loop. I don't, you know, I don't know everything. That's not that's not my area of expertise, but I try to keep up with these things. Okay, so of course I'm Steve Peasley, and, and we encourage you to contact us with your financial investment questions. Anything financial, we'll talk about. So you can call and interact with us right now. We're live four to five Pacific time, Monday through Friday, and the number is eight 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 ninety nine chart eight 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 nine nine C H A R T. Okay, well, let's go ahead and get started. I don't like to wait too long, so let's go straight to a caller question. Hey guys, this is Patrick from Marietta, and I'd like to know about Thor's spreadsheet ticker symbol T H O. They're up about 54% from when I bought in, so I don't know if I should buy more or get out. Love your opinion. Thanks. Okay, this is uh, Thor Industries. Um, let's see, they manufacture recreational vehicles in the U.S., Canada, under the Airstream and other brand names. Uh, so obviously, people are, the thought thinking is, you know, as the economy recovers, are people as the COVID dissipates a bit, these kind of recreational vehicles sales would probably increase. And so far, that's been true because in October quarter, they were up, uh, they grew 18% sales. 
before, and then the most recent quarter, 36% sales. So they are moving up pretty strong, and the stock has bounced up. It was at $140 today. It was in the low 30s at the bottom of the market last March. So that's a really big move. It's going to make $10.07, $137 stock, so it's about 14 PE. Okay, 14 PE. Is that cheap or is that expensive? In fact, that's right in the middle range. Uh, the range, five-year range is 6 to 25, so it's right in the middle. Pretty good return on equity at 12%. Only pays a 1.2% dividend. Management owns 4%. And mutual funds are buying it. So it has some debt, but nothing it can't handle. So um, I, I probably, it look, the last time I got this high, it was around one, let's see, 156, 161 was its high in 2018, 161, and it made $8.55 then. Now it's going to make $10.07. So it should go up to that number at the very least. Uh, I, would, I wouldn't sell it at this point. I would not. I think it's got more room to go. T-H-O is a symbol, everybody. Let's go to Gene in North Carolina, health savings account, HSA, he wants to talk about. Hi, Gene. Hey, thanks for taking my call, Steve. Thanks, so Gene. I've had a health savings account, which is uh, more, even better tax advantage than a Roth IRA um, for several years now through a, and investing it through a small, no-load mutual fund company. Okay. But I have been unable to find a way to invest it through a, a discount brokerage uh, firm that will allow me to trade stocks or ETFs. So my question is, I'm wondering if you've been able to invest in HSA but any, any of your clients through a discount brokerage. Well, I know I just talked to a client today that opened up an HSA of Fidelity. I know that. Uh, and he plans on buying ETFs in it. I would think a large brokerage house uh, you know, a discount brokerage house, TD Ameritrade, which is bought by Schwab. I, I would think they would allow that. I would allow it. Um, I don't see why not. I mean, I don't understand why you're even having trouble finding that because that seems to be perfectly logical to me to be able to buy individual stocks if you want or mutual funds or ETS. I don't see why they would... You mean that one that you have now, they won't let you buy outside their mutual fund family. Is that the problem? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, See, when you... I, I, have, I have called the major brokerage accounts several years ago, and all of them, they, they, they have them if they're sponsored by through an employer. But if you're an individual uh, with an individual account, they didn't have a way of setting up the account. Huh. I'm going to have to look into that. I never heard that, but I also never checked into it. So... It surprises me that they wouldn't take it, but I, you know, I've been surprised before. Um, I'm going to have to get back to you on that. And I'll check with my, uh, I'll check with my custodian, TD Ameritrade, and ask that question. I'll, I'll, I'll bring it up my next uh, tomorrow, tomorrow on air. I will. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Sorry, I couldn't answer you directly. Now, how did the market fare today? Well, not a great day. It was up most of the day, it seemed like, except for the Dow. But it ended up the Dow being down 97, the NASDAQ down 7, and SP down 4. Those two were up most of the day. So, now remember, we had a big day yesterday because, I think, of the numbers, economic numbers we had on, on Friday. And that was, that was a market day that was closed. The market was closed on Friday. 
But we had big news on the jobs report, 900 and something thousand jobs, 913,000, I think it was. When they didn't expect, to, you know, they expected like 700. So that was a big surprise. Didn't affect the, the uh, unemployment rate, though. I think that stayed about the same. But, you know, I was hoping for a follow-through day today, and we didn't get it. Kind of. That's that's a little bit of negative. You know, you want to see follow through on a big up day, and then the next day follow through, not giving back some of it, and it gave back a little bit, but it was so little. We'll have to just see. Uh, you know, it, and what was very interesting, it was led by growth stocks, not value. Nasdaq was much stronger than the Dow yesterday, and now the Nasdaq is also stronger again, being down only seven percent. Seven points where the Nasdaq, the Dow was down 97 points. So, uh, are we going to see a little bit of strength coming into the growth stocks here? Long term, I think, uh, I think, I think value stocks are going to be the the bigger winners this year. But um, you know, it's not going to be a straight line. Never is. Never is. Okay, we're headed into a quick break, and the best talk anytime listener line is open now, 888-99-CHART. Steve and Justin have recorded a special bonus podcast. It's a fast-paced learning podcast for the average investor. It's free, so be sure to tell your friends. It can be downloaded now at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and investtalk.com. Look for Rapid Fire Hour. Okay, today's trivia question concerns uh, the great crash of 1929. So I have some interesting uh, statistics about that. So... My focus point today highlights the story. Some states won't give jobless workers a tax break on stimulus unemployment benefits. In particular, the most recent $1.9 trillion package passed where, you know, you're going to count that as income. Okay. I'm not sure how I feel about that. I mean, to me, it's, well, the government's giving back some of my own money, and then they want to tax it again. And on the other hand... It is income, and it should be taxable. So I'm, I'm, I don't know how to think about that. I haven't given that much thought. But those, that's going to be the the, uh, the talking point. So let's keep moving right back to the Invest Talk Voice Bank. Hi, this is Matt from Pennsylvania. I was looking at PFSI, which is Penny Mac. Looks like it has a great PE ratio. I own a little bit and was looking at doubling down and, and putting some more money in it. Let me know what you guys think. Thank you. Financial Services, headquartered out of Westlake Village, California, engaged in the production and servicing of residential mortgage loans and investment management activities. I'd like to know what the difference between where the, where is the sales coming from? The investment loan side, I mean the mortgage loan side, or the investment management activities side? Well, how much is what? Because you know they're two very different businesses that are contributing to the earnings per share of this company. Anyways, it is a $4.1 billion company. It's going to make $17.25 this year. Made $20.92 last year. But the year before, before the, it made only $4.89. And before that, it was under $3 per year. 
Next year, which is the most important year, it's going to make $11.72. So it, it's going down. Earnings are going down. Sales are very strong, 100, over 100%. Um, so the question is, is how good, the, how, how can this company maintain that kind of growth? So it's a $59 stock going to make $11.72. Man, that's that's pretty, on a P.E. ratio basis, that's pretty low, right? A six. So is that low? That's low in relationship to the S&P 500, but is it low in relationship to itself? So what's its last five-year P.E. range? This is why I give this number to you, because this tells you, well, What's the scale that this should be selling at? And it's between 1 and 10. So its range is very low. And, and it's going to be about 5 or 6. So you can't say, oh, this is just a great bargain. Even though if you, many people look at it and they'll say, oh, look how low that P.E. ratio is. This is a bargain. Not necessarily. It's, in, it's right in the midpoint. And that's why I ask, well, where is the income and sales coming from? Because how long is a mortgage loan business going to be contributing to the bottom line and how much? Because refinancing does stop at some point. Right? We just don't know where that point is. So Justin's on vacation, everybody. So I'm here today, and we'll also do the show tomorrow or the podcast tomorrow. And yes, we have a good deal of voice pain questions, so let's grab another one right now. Hi, Justin and Steve. My uh, name is Hernando from Minneapolis, Minnesota. I uh, just started listening to you guys' show. Love it so much. Just wanted to call in quick about plug power. Uh, I had a huge pullback last week due to them needing to redo financials. Just kind of want to know what your thoughts are, if it's a good time to get in, or if you want to wait to hear what's the deal with these new uh, financials once they redo them from the previous years. Uh, again, love the show. Just want to know what you think. Plug power. P-L-U-G. Thanks. It always, and it, it should always scare you. It always scares me when they restate financials. Why? Who screwed up? I mean, how bad is it? And... You know, is it, and my 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 gut always tells me, okay, if they screwed up the financials, how many years have they been doing this? And they say, well, we're going to re- redo last year, or the year before. Well, how many years do you have to go back? Do I believe you? you screwed them up once. Um, see, that's very, I don't know, very negative in my head. When that has, I usually get out. I don't look at that as a buying opportunity because the stock collapsed. I look at it as time to get out. They don't make money anyway, so I do like where they are engaged in the de- uh, design maker of fuel cell systems, but they're not making any money, have never made money forever. Uh, that's not for me. You're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Steve Peasley, and with all the changes we see happening, it's important to remember that during times of market uncertainty, the task of building your financial, your financial future, your financial freedom, that never changes. You have to continue it every day, every week, every month, every paycheck. So we'll talk about it if you want. Your participation in the program is always important. So give me a call. We're live, 888-99-CHART. The markets react to uncertainty. Are you prepared? Is your portfolio balanced? Is it optimized? 
Your financial future depends on the answers to those questions. Steve Peasley is here now and he's ready to talk with you. Call Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Okay, my focus point today, a story that some states won't give jobless workers a tax break on stimulus unemployment benefits. The new coronavirus relief bill exempts unemployment income, unemployment income at the federal level. In other words, you don't have to pay income taxes, so it's unemployment income taxes. At the federal level, 13 states, however, feel differently about that. Now, we're getting a a check from the government, and basically it's our money they're giving back to us, right? I mean, if we're – because even if we don't have it and they borrow it, which they are, and they're just printing money, we have to put back that money someday, somehow, someday. Uh, So it is our own money they're giving back to us. The question is, is should we be paying taxes on that money. And I am i don't know if I've ever made that decision in my own head if that's right or wrong. And therefore, the 13 states you know, that, you know, that uh, say you can't, you have to count it as income. So, you know, you're getting those credit cards. They got, you've got to count that as income. Those states are saying, hey, there's no, you know, that's income to you. You've got to count it as income. And isn't that not true? It is true. To you, the individual, you got extra money. That's income. That's how you define income, right? I mean, it's not earned income, but it's still income. So what do you think? You think it's right or wrong? So most states are saying, you know, they're exempting, I think, $10,200 of unemployment benefits of part of this money. And again, I'm not sure. I don't even know. I, I don't even know if it's that important. I do. I will say this. I'm not sure we needed a 1.9 trillion stimulus package, because you know the last stimulus package we haven't spent the money from all that yet. So, do we really need it to boost the economy? Isn't that what it's all about? Boosting the economy, getting us back up, so jobs can be produced, so people can can get back to work. And then, of course, there are those people that need money because they've lost their jobs. Well, then maybe we should focus the money to give you know them the benefit, not just everybody. See, that kind of, I don't know if everybody needs it. I know I wouldn't need it. So I know people who got it who don't need it, but they're like, they're happy to get it, but they, they're not unemployed. You're listening to Best Talk, and I thank you. Please tell your friends and family members about our show. You know, it's a free bod- podcast, you know that. So let's get to the questions that came in earlier from Chicago. Hey, Steve and Justin, this is Matt Kahn from Chicago. I've heard you all saying over the last couple months it'd be a good idea to get some exposure to the insurers in a rising interest rate environment. I was hoping you could compare two ETFs for me, the iShares Insurance ETF, ticker IAK, compared to the Invesco ETF, KBWP. Some guidance on what to look for in these types of ETFs would also be appreciated as well. I'll listen on the podcast. Thank you. Okay, well, the KBWP, the Invesco ETF, exchange-rated fund, is seeking performance corresponding to the KBW NASDAQ Property and Casualty Index, while the other one, IAK, tracks a different index 
the Dow Jones U.S. Select Insurance Index. And how I would decide which ones I would want is I would look at their top holdings. I would look at like the top 10 holdings of both companies, see how much overlap there is, if there is some. And I have a feeling there'll be some, but I would think that the NASDAQ would have higher risk insurance companies compared to the Dow Jones. Now, that's a feeling I have because I know what makes up in the NASDAQ. They don't usually have big blue chip old line insurance companies to pay dividends. They will have higher risk type companies. So I think I, I'm just speculating based on the indexes they're checking, they're tracking, right? Two separate indexes. So I think that's how I would look at it. I would look into, well, does the one, the uh, the KBWP, does it track uh, higher risk insurance companies through that index in the NASDAQ? Or does the IAK have big blue chip insurance companies? Because that's where they are, mostly in the Dow. So that's how I would look at it. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. I think I told you there was like 916,000 jobs Produced for the month of March, um, and you know the Q, uh, the the um, uh, GDP for the first quarter is estimated to going to be about four point nine percent. We haven't got that official number, and that's only going to go up. So the second quarter is going to be higher. The third quarter is going to be higher. So it's going to be higher than that. We're going to have a pretty good economic year, probably a very good economic. Okay, um, so just keep an eye on the economic numbers. That's what I would suggest. Okay, most investors today have an awareness of the Great Crash of 1929. It was the most devastating stock market crash in history of the United States. So as we go to break, here's my two-part trivia question. Before the 1929 crash, the stock market had soared. How much? When compared with its earlier value of 1921, remember the Roaring Twenties? And what percentage of Americans owned stock at that time in the 1920s before the crash? At the break, I'll supply the answer, but for now, my phone lines are open, and I encourage you to give me a call, 888-99-CHART. From sunrise to sunset. Hi, Steve. This is Carol in Alabama. From dusk till dawn. Hey, guys. It's Carl from Philadelphia. The questions keep coming. I had a question regarding portfolio yield. From down the street, around the corner, and across the country. Big fan of the podcast from New York here. I'm calling from the Chicagoland area. From Newport, Kentucky. Invest Talk listeners have one objective. This is Frank from the Bay Area. Financial freedom. I had a question on your opinion about this Vanguard Total Bond Market Index Fund. How they get there and when they get there is up to them. My question today is about diversification. But Steve Peasley and Justin Klein can help improve their strategy with unbiased investing guidance. I really thank you guys for all of your knowledge and wisdom. Listen live or download the podcast, investtalk.com. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members. 
or friends from a different culture. I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak, listen, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value, so your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this, so don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com today. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's Attack Resistance Platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. Have you heard about Riskalyze? It's a brief question and answer form that you fill out online. Steve Peasley and Justin Klein will also get a copy of your responses. They can use the Riskalyze results to help you formulate a strategy that fits your investing risk tolerance. Learn more anytime and take the Riskalyze quiz at investtalk.com. 888-99 charts. So I gave you a trivia question before uh, before the break. So, before the 1929 crash, the stock market had soared. How much? When compared with its earlier value of 1921, how much did it soar over that period of time? And what percentage of Americans actually owned stocks at that time, the 1920s? So here's a short 
last history lesson. The Wall Street crash of 1929, also known as a great crash, was a major American stock market crash that occurred in the autumn of 1929. It started on in September and ended in October. It's one of the reasons why September is known to be one of the worst months uh, in history and where October uh, usually sees a bottom of any pullback or crashes. Very common. Or it is common, maybe not very common. Okay? Okay, when uh, taken into consideration the full extent and duration of the after effects, it was the most devastating stock market crash in the history of the United States. Before the crash, the stock market has soared, and in 1929, the Dow Jones Industrial hit a high that was six times the value of 1921. So think about that. Every year for, what, eight years, it soared every year. Six times higher than it was from 1921 to 1929. But fewer, you know how many people? Own stocks? Less than 1%. 1% of people own stocks. So it didn't affect everybody. The crash didn't. The fallout after the crash certainly did because you had the Great Recession started by that big crash. Okay. Okay. So, um, so the crash started October 20. Uh, the, cra- the Great Crash associated with, associated with October 25th. That was the worst day called a Black Friday. It was called Black Friday, October 25th. That marked the bottom. Okay, um, so that was the worst day. Remember we had in, what, two, th- 1987? I have the newspaper over there. It was a 20% crash. This crash was like 80, a 20% crash in one day. I think it was um, October 19, 1987. This was, uh, but the the crash, the great crash, it was like 80%. You know, it's not one day, but man, it's huge. It's huge. Okay, we got a good pace going, so let's keep it moving. So here comes an Invest Talk caller question from Seattle. Hi, this is Connor from Seattle, Washington. I was just wondering if you guys could go over a basic or fundamental analysis for stocks, just for a beginning investor like myself. Thank you. I appreciate it. Hope to hear this on there. Okay, so there's basically two ways to look at stocks, fundamentally and technically. Technically means you're just looking at a chart. But you never, ever buy a stock just because you looked at a chart. You buy stocks because of their fundamentals. And you sell stocks because of their fundamentals. You know, there's a change in the fundamentals. Uh, the charting only helps you to know when and when to buy and when to sell, not what to buy and what to sell. That's what the fundamentals are for. Okay, so what do you look for? Always, always have earnings. They should have a company that you're thinking about buying should have consistent earnings. Okay, and they should have a decent profit margin. What's that mean? Well, we like to see profit margin rising than rather than sell than falling. They should have some kind of advantage. You know, it's called a moat. Some people call it a moat, you know, like in the old uh, medieval days, there was a moat around the castle. Well, this is a moat around the corporation. What kind of moat? Like, I'll give you an example. Coca-Cola's moat is its brand name. Hey, have a Coke. You say the word like an adjective. 
as well as, but just really, why don't you say have a soda? But no, we say have a Coke because the brand name is so well known. That's what you use. You use their name. So uh, branding is a, ver- is a moat. Or you can have something, a, a new technology, something that's different than everybody else. Or you have such a huge market share that it's hard to compete. You know, that kind of thing. So fundamentals, sales growth, earnings growth. Uh, we like to see a return on equity about 17% or higher. I'll take lower if it's a slow growth company. You like to see a, a, a good PE ratio compared to its growth, a price to sales ratio, so a, a PEG ratio that are, you know, good. It's hard to say what the number should be because it depends on the sector of the stock that you're in. Different sectors have different ratios. It's, it's not an easy thing. There's just not one or few or three or five things you look for. It's more than that. Okay. This is Invest Talk. Next up, a call question came from Utah. Hey, Stephen Justin. This is Daniel from Utah. I'm calling about PSEC, Prospect Capital. Um, I've owned it for quite a while and have enjoyed the growth and the dividend. I just wanted to ask your opinion on how safe you think the dividend is. Thanks again, and I'll be listening for the answer on the show. Okay, the way to answer that question is a very good question. Uh, you look at the earnings, you look at the per- percent yield. What is it yielding, and how steady is the sales and earnings? That tells you how safe that dividend is. You may not be able to refer to a dividend as safe. I don't like to use the word safe when referring to stocks at all. But this is Prospect Capital. It's a $3 billion company, so you know it's not huge, that also plays a part in whether the dividend is safe. It's a business development company investing in middle market, privately held companies in various industries. So it takes a bit of risk. That's a risky type business. It's a good business, but it's risky. Now, you look at their earnings. Their earnings, they've always earned money, but it's been kind of erratic. For instance, 2014, they made $1.19 per share. The next year after that, they made a dollar. Then a year after that, a dollar four. Then in 2017, only 85 cents. In 2018, 79 cents. So this year, they're going to make 71 cents. So that's not very consistently increasing earnings. Okay, it's a $7.90 stock. Okay, and they're paying a 9% dividend. So how much is that? How much is that on a, on a $7.90 stock? So, well, 9% of 8, if it was an $8 stock, that's 72 cents. And they're going to make 69 cents next year. So I'm telling you that the dividend is not safe. They don't make enough money for it to be safe. I'd like to, we like to see a payout ratio. In other words, the ratio of paying, the, uh, paying out to the shareholder in the form of dividend, the ratio of earnings paid out to the shareholder. What is that? That's a payout ratio. We like to see that about 60% or less because that's a better, that's more sustainability uh, that for the company. Paying out all their earnings is pretty difficult to maintain. Okay? So it's not that safe. Okay, 888-99-CHART. Let's make it three in a row. The next call came from California. Hi, this is Zach from Oakland. Love the show, listen to it all the time. I'm specifically wondering about a stock I own. Ticker symbol is SOS. The company's called SOS Limited. 
Um, I'm wondering if it's worth holding on to in the long run and what you think about the company overall, like earnings, momentum, you know, their indicators essentially. And uh, I'm just wondering if it's worth holding or if I should sell. Thanks. I'm going to say, just looking at the numbers, that no, it's not worth holding. This is a SOS company, a limited. It is a Chinese company, China-based company, providing consumer lending marketplace in the People's Republic of China. It's a very small company, $800 million. It's a $4.50 stock. They don't make money, have never made money. They don't look like they're going to make money. Um, the stock was trading at one time around $80, $90 a share when it first IPO back in June of 2017. Since that time, it fell, 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 fell all the way until last March where it bombed at, oh, less than a dollar a share. Today, it's $4.50. So it had a nice run from the bottom, a run up, but it's not worth holding. I wouldn't, I wouldn't own this stock. I wouldn't own this stock with monopoly money, alone my real money. Um, okay. Where are we? Anyways, 2021 is pretty, is pretty well underway. We're now moving to the second quarter, okay? So the first three months went by pretty fast. Um, so let me take a minute, if you will. Let me talk about our company. Um, it's KPP Financial, uh, based in Irvine, California. And thanks to technology, we can review your portfolio or, and other strategic guidance we can provide you know, via the internet, via Skype, via any, you know, any way you want to, or just on the phone. So we would love to do that. You know, all you have to do is go to an, our, one of our websites. We have KPP uh, Financial Inc. or investtalk.com. You know, so either websites, you can get to us, send us an email. One thing we do that most other investors don't, other registered investment advisors don't, is we practice what we call parallel investing, meaning we buy the same thing for ourselves as we do for our clients. Same price, same percentage, same time. Buy and sell. So that my performance tracks my client's performance. And we have like five different programs depending on how risky you want to be. We have a variety of risk tolerances in accounts that we have. So, and remember, this is your individual account. We're just going to manage it the same way in that group as everybody else in that group. So, if you want to meet with us, talk to us, send us an email, go to investor.com, click on the Contact Us buttons, uh, give us a call at Irvine office, any way you want to, we'll be happy to talk to you about it. Now, next up, we have a question about a Roth IRA. So, hang on. There is good news for loyal InvestTalk listeners, their friends, and families. Steve and Justin have recorded a special bonus podcast. This free podcast is available for download anytime. Typically, each day and night, the InvestTalk call center receives more voicemail questions than Steve and Justin can fit into a live show format. So in the bonus program, caller questions will be played back from our voice bank and answered with brief, unbiased, and helpful responses. The first segment of the Rapid Fire Hour is hosted by Justin Klein, and Steve Beasley handles the second half. It's a fast-paced learning podcast for the average investor. It's free, so be sure to tell your friends. It can be downloaded now at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and investtalk.com. Look for Rapid Fire Hour. 
Hi, Justin and Steve. I want a question about a Roth IRA. I added some money, the whole amount, earlier on in the year. And I, I just like to really see that it's only earned 29 cents. And I think that it's because I actually haven't chosen a position. I wondered if you could tell me a little bit more about how I go about doing that and also when I'm choosing the position or the index fund or whatever I'm investing in, if there's a different process that I would go through than I would if I were just buying the index fund outright. I'd love to hear your opinion and look forward to hearing your answer on the show. Thanks. Bye. Well, that pretty sure tells me that you uh, open up an author, uh, Roth IRA, you put money in there, and it's in money market because that's how much money you earn, you know, pennies. You don't earn anything at this stage because the, the, the Federal Reserve has made sure that you can't earn money. They've been had the interest rates so very low that people who don't want to take risks can't make money in the market because they, there's no way that they can make, you know, buy CDs or money market returns. They just don't give you anything. So... Your question is extremely broad, so it's very hard to answer. But if I were you, I would pick probably an exchange-traded fund, and I'd probably pick just good, solid, either index funds, because all the ETFs have all the index funds, or maybe an ETF that focuses on you know, dividend-paying stocks you know, that are less risky. But it depends how much risk you want to take, and I'm not so sure you know how much risk you want to take. Uh, and we have, uh, you know, we have Riskalyze, a little uh, a piece of software on our website that really will get, gauge your risk tolerance with a score that you would get between 0 and 100. 80 is a risk, uh, risk level of the S&P 500. So if you scored a 50, you definitely wouldn't be in the stock market. You would be very, very little in the stock market. If you had a risk to- score of 70 to 90, you pretty much are comfortable with the stock market. So I need to determine how much risk you want to take before I can really advise you. But if you're going to take stock market risk, you find an ETF uh, and just invest in that because it's broad and you get diversification. Just don't don't pay close attention to it. Just let it grow. Let it grow over years. You will make money if you do that. Let's try another one live call real quick. Rhonda in Texas wants to talk about 3M. Yeah, I was uh, calling just to get your opinion on 3M and what you think about it. I'm looking at buying it, um, and, uh, and and if so, what you think a good entry price would be. I know it's kind of expensive. Okay, 3M. Everybody, I think, knows about 3M. It's one of the larger industrial companies. Uh, it's out of St. Paul, Minnesota. Provides industrial tapes, adhesives, medical offices. It's huge. $112 billion company pays a really nice dividend, 3%. And a good entry play, entry point for it to, for you to enter it, uh, well, I'd probably go ahead and, I mean, it's bro- it's broken out. Probably this is where you buy it. If you're not going to buy here, between about 170, it's at 194 now. 170 is a good place to get into it. 170, 175 in that range. This is Invest Talk. I'm Steve Peasley, and we have one goal here, and I help you achieve financial freedom, everybody. So we'll continue the work right after this break. Get your questions in. 888-99-CHART. You are listening to Invest Talk. 
Every Friday on the program and the podcast, Steve Peasley shares highlights from the newest edition of the KPP Premium Newsletter. Listen Fridays to Invest Talk. And now, Steve and Justin welcome your calls and questions. 888-99-CHART. Hi, Justin and Steve. I'm wondering what you think of Anthem, A-N-T-M, and as a long-term investment. It's about 7% of my total retirement portfolio, so I'm wondering whether to keep it or sell it. Thank you. Okay, Anthem Inc. Everybody provides managed healthcare services for, uh, uh, through through PPOs and HMOs and indemnity and other hybrid plans. It's eighty eight eighty six billion dollar company. It's huge, right? They make very good money. Twenty four dollars seventy three cents a share this year. That's ten percent higher than last, and they got fourteen percent more next year. Twenty eight twenty two. It's a three hundred fifty two dollar stock. So it's right at fair market value, in my opinion, right around here. You know, about 340 to 355, 360 in that range is what's fair. And it's moved up to that level, so it's probably not going to go much higher. Okay, because that's right near the middle point of its. It's so big, it's like this big blue chip company. It only pays 1.4%, 1.3% dividend. And that's really a concern. Sales growth has been very good in the mid teens for every quarter for the last eight quarters. So it's pretty strong company, and you would expect it to be. Okay, um, I, I just think it's fairly valued at this point, um, and you might want to cut your position in half if you have seven percent, and put that have that money into something that pays at least a higher dividend than this. But I don't think you're going to get much more growth out. Okay, let's finish up with a live, live caller, Owen from Northern California. Hi, uh, I was wondering what you think about Quanta Services, ticker symbol PWR. I bought at around $36 last year, but then sold at $45. And now it's catching a lot of headlines, and I'm just wondering what you think of the stock and what would be your price range for it. Okay. Provides, uh, this is Quanta Services, is PWR is a symbol, provides specialty contracting-related services to the electric power, gas, and oil pipeline industries. It has risen quite nicely uh, from a base of about $40 to now it's 92 It was a low, uh, about $24 or so at the COVID low, okay, $23, $24. Um, let's see. It's going to make $4.29 a share this year, $4.82 a share next year. So that means it's about a 21, 22 PE, and that's a high of its range. 8 to 24. Return equity is pretty good at 13%. Doesn't pay much of a dividend, hardly any. Um, I think it's done with its run. I think it's too late to go chasing it. It might continue up, but I think it's just, uh, uh, you know, with its infrastructure spending going to happen, and that's probably what's been driving this thing up because it will benefit from that, but it might be already built into the price. That's the problem. Um, it could still go up. I wouldn't. I wouldn't add a new position to it right here. I wouldn't. I wouldn't necessarily sell it if I owned it. I'd wait for it to show me some weakness because it's not doing that at all right now. So that's what I would do. Appreciate the call. Thank you. As PWR Quanta Services Inc. Everybody, um, there's something that no one's talking about. No one's talking about uh, foreclosures. You notice that 
foreclosures on home on mortgages. The reason why no one's talking about it is because everybody's been forgiven. A lot of mortgages have been forgiven. They're not foreclosing on it, on the properties. Uh, the um, Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, CFPB, is allowing 18 months of forgiveness for any Freddie Mae and Fannie Mac loans, and they've extended that to other types of mortgage loans. This means there's a bunch of comp- there's a bunch of foreclosures out there that has not happened, and I don't know what that means in the future. But you know, if 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 companies are not foreclosing on properties, that means those properties are not coming back into the marketplace, uh, and that's probably one of the reasons why we have a very uh, huge shortage of properties. Values keep going up. You're allowing, if you don't allow foreclosure, you're not allowing the marketplace to work. Now, I sound cold-hearted, but I'm not trying to be, I'm trying to be realistic. I'm Steve Peasley, and this completes another Investop program. Justin Klein and I thank you for listening and encourage you to tell your friends and family members about our free podcast downloads. We post a new program every day, five days a week, Monday through Friday. Right after the show, the show stops right at 5 o'clock. So get your free downloads anytime. Google Play, Spotify, InvestTalk.com. We would appreciate it. Really would. We really do really appreciate you listening to the podcast. Independent thinking, share success. This is InvestTalk. Good night, everybody. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, Call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein, chief executive officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART. 